Nutrition for Mortals, the podcast that says life is too damn short to spend your time and attention worrying about your food choices. So let's take a deep breath and then join us, two registered dietitians and friends, as we explore the world of nutrition with a special focus on cultivating a healthy and peaceful relationship with food. My name is Matt Priven, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host and the best dietitian on planet Earth, Jen Baum. Hey, Jen. Hey, Matt. And just a quick reminder, if you're enjoying the show, you can support us on Patreon. We are also on Instagram at Nutrition for Mortals. And if you ever have an idea for the show, we always love getting show ideas. And you can email those to us at nutritionformortals at gmail.com. Yes, you can. And so hopefully if you're listening to this, you listened to part one of this two-part episode. And in the first one, we went through the history of anti-coffee propaganda since like the late 1800s. And if you listen to that, you'll know why we call these episodes the Coffee Wars. Still gets me. Yep. Every time. Every time. So Matt, what are we going to be talking about in part two today? Yeah. So now that we've heard the story of CW Post's anti-coffee propaganda, and we're kind of caught up in the last hundred years or so in coffee health claims and how ridiculous they often were, given the intense advertising efforts of CW Post, now we're going to have a chance to talk about the health claims, like the modern health claims. You know, what are people saying about coffee and its influence on a variety of different health outcomes. You know, what is the fear mongering that's happening now? And we can kind of sift through it and make sense of, you know, what do we actually need to worry about, if anything, related to coffee and how does coffee intersect with our health? And so we'll get into all that. But I'm wondering if people maybe haven't heard the first episode in a while, could you give us just like a quick rundown of sort of the story from last time? Yeah, absolutely. So in part one, we, of course, jumped in our time machine, which is always very helpful to have on this podcast. We went back to the late 1800s, early 1900s, and we really kind of dug into this kind of wellness war between John Harvey Kellogg and C.W. Post and really focused on how C.W. Post really created a ton of anti-coffee propaganda that really influenced how people thought and felt about coffee in the early 1900s. And we talked specifically about how his advertising around coffee, I mean, he was coming up with these kind of faux diseases that coffee could cause, you know, that those types of advertisements really influenced not only how people thought about coffee then, but have really kind of trickled down into modern times and still influence how we think about coffee or maybe still kind of fuel the anti-coffee propaganda that's out there. Yeah. And I think thanks to Post's efforts, you know, we've had this doubt in our mind, like, is coffee okay? Is this drink that I actually love you know, is there something I'm missing about it? How can something I enjoy so much be okay for us? And so I think the scientific research has really tried to help us make sense of that, especially over the last 30 or 40 years or so. And so we're going to have a chance to talk about all that today. 
Well, yeah. And one of the reasons I'm excited to dig into this, because as you mentioned, Matt, there are so many health claims floating out there about coffee. And it sounds like today we're going to do some debunking or just some exploring around those claims and kind of separate fact from fiction. Totally. Are there any health claims you want to make sure we get to today? You know, we got a long list. Honestly, we're going to we're going to tear through a bunch of them. I, ha- I have a long list, but is there anything you want to make sure that we talk about? Yeah, I, I definitely want to make sure that we get to the claim that coffee stunts growth in you know young people. I think that's one that's been around for a long mm-hmm. time, and it's one that I still hear. I also want to talk about you know when we get older, if coffee actually impacts our bone health negatively. So essentially, I, I want to talk about coffee on both ends of the age spectrum. Does it stunt our growth if we're young and people drink coffee when they're younger? And also, as we get older, does it affect our skeletal? system in a negative way. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. I want to make sure we get to heart health. I want to make sure we get to uh, cortisol levels. Like there's been a lot mm. of ranting on social media about the negative impacts of coffee on cortisol levels. I want to make sure we answer the question, is coffee dehydrating? That's Ooh. really popular. Yep. I think we got a lot of ground to cover. There are others too. So let's, let's get into it. So where are we going to start? I think we should jump in with the question, is coffee bad for your heart? Mm, Okay. And the reason I want to do this is because I think this might be the best way to connect the story from last time to today, to modern scientific research. So you probably recall we spoke about coffee heart last time, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. Coffee heart being this made up condition CW Post blessed us with, which was, you know, the, the fear of dropping dead from a heart attack because of, you know, being a coffee drinker, that maybe coffee is somehow damaging your heart. And there were many ads run for years in newspapers and magazines around the country threatening coffee heart. And so the point I want to make here is that when modern scientific research really got underway, we had to respond to this cultural concept, this cultural discourse about coffee being bad for your heart. And we weren't really able to approach these research questions from a a neutral perspective. And so the way I want to present this is I want to have you read two sections of text. The first being some sort of dry science language from about 30 years ago, which I'm going to say is, is still sort of Uh, earlier scientific literature in the modern era. And then I'll have you read a a much more recent scientific paper just to hear the difference in tone. The first one's much more, you can hear them responding to sort of like the influence of CW Post and the Postum propaganda. And in the second one, we finally start to feel a little freedom from the age of Postum. Interesting. Okay. So this sounds like it's going to maybe illustrate how scientific literature and just scientific language around coffee evolved over what, like a 30 year period. Exactly. So first I'll have you read from a paper published about 30 years ago, and this one's called Caffeine and Coffee, Effects on Health and Cardiovascular Disease. Okay. It says, quote, causal relationships have been difficult to substantiate. Initial investigations showing an association between coffee and coronary heart disease suffer from confounding variables and have been difficult to replicate. Recent studies showing a significant effect over long follow-up periods and with high coffee intake have again raised the question of a role for coffee and or caffeine consumption in the pathogenesis of atherosclerotic heart disease. 
Contrary to common belief, the published literature provides little evidence that coffee and or caffeine in typical dosages increases the risk of infarction, aka heart attack, sudden death, or arrhythmia. Okay. All right. So this is a definitely showing the difference between what the literature, what the science says, and the claims that were being made around coffee. Yeah. They're essentially saying like, we're not seeing this coffee heart thing in the research, right? It sounds like they're responding to someone, you know, it's like, it sounds like someone lost their keys and they're like, we keep looking, we're not <laughs> seeing it anywhere, right? Like they're responding to like a problem. And that's very different than what we're seeing now. So I'm going to have you read again. This is from 2017, so much more recent in the British Medical Journal um, in a big uh, umbrella meta-analysis. Okay, so this is 30 years later, and it says, quote, coffee consumption was consistently associated with a lower risk of mortality from all causes of cardiovascular disease, coronary heart disease, and stroke in a non-linear relation, with summary estimates indicating largest reduction in relative risk at three cups a day. Compared with non-drinkers, risks were reduced by 19% for mortality from cardiovascular disease, 16% for mortality from coronary heart disease, and 30% for mortality from stroke at this level of intake. Oh, so look at that. Coffee is actually good for your cardiovascular system. Exactly. And that's what we keep learning. You know, all the studies that sort of had to deal with, we're not seeing hosts coffee heart, we finally got to the point where we can go, wait, these relative risk numbers look pretty darn good for coffee drinkers. It seems to be quite good for the heart, actually. Well, I suppose this is a classic example of what happens when one makes up a disease and, <laughs> and then makes a claim about, you know, a particular food or beverage. And then it's just like blatantly disproved by the science. Yes, yes, exactly. And so I feel like now we're maybe free from the clutches of post-propaganda enough to ask certain health questions, uh, at least with heart health. Uh, But we got to get into some other ones. Of course, of course. And I mean, I want to kind of circle back to an aspect of that second quote that I read that jumped out at me because I think it might be important for us to circle back to. They mentioned in that second quote that it really seemed that three cups a day is the amount of coffee where all of these heart health benefits started happening. And so what did you find in terms of like the sweet spot of amount of coffee intake and heart health? Yeah, yeah, you heard that right. So for heart health outcomes, it appears that three to four cups a day seems to be the most beneficial, although higher amounts don't necessarily cause harm. It's just that the benefits sort of cap out. Mm. So three to four cups a day. And, you know, in these studies... Each study has a sort of different standard for what a cup of coffee means. Okay. And so, and if you've tried to make coffee at home with like multiple devices, you know this quite well. Like one coffee machine will say uh, a cup of coffee is 150 milliliters. And then the next one will say uh, it's 240. And then the next one will just like somehow be two cups actually, right? And so the standardization is tricky, but generally like you can think of it as roughly three to four eight ounce cups of coffee is what the sweet spot appears to be. Okay, interesting. Okay, so I mean, I 
think this is a really great way to like kick off the first part of the show. It seems like we have identified the fact that coffee does seem to be fairly protective or good for our cardiovascular system. But what about our bones, right? That's one that we hear all the time that coffee and drinking coffee leaches minerals from our bones. And so what did you find in that realm? Yes, yes, yes. Okay, so let's move on to bone health. I want to start by playing a clip that I think will help set the tone. All right. So I'm going to play a clip from someone who is quite anti-coffee even today. This is Dr. Paul Saladino. (gasps) Oh, does he have a shirt on though? (laughs) (laughs) He does not. He never has a shirt on. He does not. He never has a shirt on. Put a shirt on. Yeah, so he's he's been on the show before in clip form, and he's the carnivore doctor you may have seen online. Um, we heard from him in the Plant Panic episode, and he is anti a lot of things, but one of them is coffee. So in this clip, we find uh, Dr. Saladino in his natural habitat, which is shirtless <laughs> in someone else's place of business and preaching to the camera about how terrible everything in their store is. <laughs> And I think in this case, he's actually in a car repair business or some kind of car parts store and is helping himself to the complimentary coffee machine, but sadly just making a cup of coffee so he can dramatically pour it in the drain at the end of the video. So let's take a listen. Coffee is depleting your minerals. We know that methylxanthines like caffeine in coffee and tea or theobromine in chocolate deplete minerals in humans, important nutrients like calcium, magnesium, or manganese. This will lead to all sorts of problems. There are studies in postmenopausal women who drink moderate amounts of coffee showing bone loss if they were not getting enough calcium per day, if they were getting less than 800 milligrams of calcium per day. A lot of people do not get that much calcium per day, and that study didn't even look at important minerals like manganese or magnesium. Caffeine, coffee, this is borrowing tomorrow's happiness today. Don't be addicted to caffeine for your energy. Get enough sleep, eat a good diet, eat an animal-based diet, get your energy and nutrients from your diet if you truly want to thrive. This is not doing you any favors and is depleting your minerals and making you feel like garbage. (laughs) Okay. All right. I don't think it's borrowing my happiness from tomorrow. No, it's increasing my happiness for today, today. Today, 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 my happiness (laughs) is exponentially more because of my coffee. So he made a lot of statements there and it happened pretty quick while he was brewing a loud cup of coffee in the background. So let's just, just, just summarize. So he's saying that when you drink coffee uh, or you have caffeine, it depletes your minerals. It, it leaches calcium and magnesium and manganese, and you lose those minerals from your body in the form of urine. And you know he, he cited a study that did pop up on the screen that talked about how postmenopausal women who had low calcium intake, uh, you know, had higher risk of bone loss. Um, you know, a lot happened really quick. But his, his big point is coffee is bad for your bones and you should not consume it. Yeah. And did you look at the study that he threw up there on the screen during the clip? Oh, of course I did. Okay. All right. All right. Tell me about <laughs> you know the study. Me. Yeah. I know. I know. That's what we do on the show. What, what, did, what did the study say? Yeah. So the study that flashed on the screen said effects of dietary caffeine on renal handling in adult women. So let's take a look quickly. So that was a small study in 37 women. And so basically some women were given a drink, not coffee, Keep that in mind, not coffee. It was just a drink that contained a big dose of caffeine. And then some women received a control drink that didn't contain caffeine. And they measured their urine output over the next two hours. And they found that there was indeed a higher amount of calcium and magnesium in the urine for the women who drank 
the caffeine, meaning they lost a bit more of these minerals just in the two hours after having a big dose of caffeine. But the big question is, does this show bone loss in the women? Absolutely not. Mm. This is a two-day study just looking at the urine output for two hours with 37 women, half of them not getting caffeine at all and half of them getting caffeine. Coffee doesn't even appear in the study. And, you know, it doesn't even take into account the changes in the mineral content of their urine for 22 of the 24 hours of the day of these study periods. It's just two hours of what does your pee look like is basically the study. Right. But he also, um, so Saladino said something about how postmenopausal women particularly were more at risk of bone loss if they consumed less than 800 milligrams of calcium per day. So was that in the study? Did they evaluate calcium intake? No, no, no. That is not in the study that flashed on the screen at all. Silly question, Jennifer. Silly question. (laughs) But I, of course, I wanted to figure out what he was referencing and see if there was any science. So I think I found it. It's from a 1994 study in the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition. So this study had 205 participants who were, in fact, postmenopausal women. And the study found that the women consuming less than 744 milligrams of calcium per day and who had the highest caffeine intake of over 450 milligrams per day experienced the most bone loss over one year. Okay, so... But was this a coffee study that was done in 1994 or was this another kind of like ultra high caffeinated beverage study? Yeah, exactly. This was just a caffeine study. So these folks could have been drinking energy drinks or tea or taking caffeine tablets for all we know. So, you know, one of the important things to point out here is there's definitely going to be some confounding variables in a study like this. You'd want to make sure they controlled for a lot of things before we started declaring that not only caffeine, but coffee decreases your your bone mineral density. So Jen, I'll ask you, besides caffeine, what other aspects of dietary intake would you want to make sure you controlled for in a population if you're assessing bone loss over a year? Oh, yeah. Good question. So I would want to know about total energy intake. I think I would be interested in protein and protein intake. I would want to know about vitamin D status for the participants. So yes, there would be many other variables that I would be uh, interested in and and want to control for. Do you think that the study assessed any of that? (laughs) I mean, by the tone of your question, Matt, I'm going to go with no, no, they did not. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so when Dr. Saladino says postmenopausal women who consume the least amount of calcium and the most amount of caffeine have have more bone loss. Yeah, we saw a weak association that didn't control for hardly anything relevant from a nutrition perspective. So the, I, we're just going to completely debunk everything that was said in that video, yeah. if that's OK with you. Well, you know, I mean, I think this is an example of how, you know, one thing is never going to be the end all when it comes to nutrition or health. I mean, we're talking about caffeine in relation to bone loss, but there's a lot of other variables that we have to think about. The problem is that when we have these nuanced discussions, you know, they're not clickable in the way that like Saladino's videos are clickable. You know, he makes it out to be, I mean, he does so interesting. He does like the same thing that CW Post does, right? It's this like fear mongering around caffeine and he does it in a way that's not based on sound science at all. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it has the allure of science, you know, and he flashes studies on the screen, but 
I mean, so often the studies, you know, show weak associations and he's pushing you towards what he's selling, which in Saladino's case is like capsules full of like, you know, cow liver and heart and stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> sort of super intense supplements marketed to the the animal-based diet cohort. Um, but, you know, it's like, dude, if you're so worried about leaching calcium, why don't you just have some calcium? <laughs> like, right. You're losing a little bit of calcium. Okay, why don't you have a latte then? That'll that'll solve the whole problem. Right. And we can stop yelling in other people's businesses. Right. We can stop going to like car garages and like making the workers feel like shamed about having their coffee every day. Seriously. And put a shirt on. <laughs> it's just not respectful. Right. Right. Well, okay. So, you know, I, I think what this has been a really nice example of is, you know, taking a, you know, a very specific example on the internet. I'm sure this is like a reel or a video that was fairly viral or like fairly engaged with. And we kind of pulled it apart in a way that I hope was helpful for people, but let's zoom out a bit if that's okay. And I want to talk about big picture with bone health and coffee. You know, I mean, tell me, tell me straight, Matt, does coffee seem to be contributing to osteoporosis or does it seem to be compromising bone health in any significant way long-term? So the short answer is no. The research doesn't, you know, unfortunately it's not super strong here yet. The current state of the research certainly does not show that coffee or caffeine increases the risk of osteoporosis. So there was this big recent meta-analysis that showed, you know, something I will point out, their, their findings suggested that there was a 14% increase in bone fracture, specifically in women who consumed the highest amounts of coffee compared to those who consumed the lowest amounts. But really the main conclusion of that study if you read the abstract of that study or you read through the conclusions, is that we need more well-designed research to confirm these findings. There's really nothing to worry about at all for now. There's this relatively small increase in relative risk of bone fracture, specifically in women, but you know the authors at great length talked about the, the need for more high-quality studies, specifically looking into bone health long-term and specifically fracture risk. Well, and can you can you talk a little bit about in that highest intake group. So it sounds like in women who drank the, the highest amount of coffee, how much coffee were those women drinking? Yeah. To be honest, I don't remember the exact number, but usually the highest like quartile or quintile in these studies is like 600 milligrams or more, which is a big dose of caffeine. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, what average cup of coffee has how many milligrams of caffeine? It can be so incredibly variable. There's so many factors that go into it um, all the way from, you know, where the coffee comes from to how it was processed to how it's brewed at your actual home or in a coffee shop. But generally an easy rule of thumb is like an eight ounce cup of coffee is about a hundred milligrams of caffeine. So this would be six cups of coffee to get to the highest amount of coffee in some of these studies. Yeah. Interesting. So it sounds like high highest risk group were drinking a significant amount of coffee. And even then it was only a small relative risk increase in the risk of fracture. Exactly. And not in osteoporosis or osteopenia, right? And so this is just one thing related to bone health, but it, we're not seeing any increased risk when it comes to osteoporosis. Okay. Okay. Well, again, I feel like whew, we can take like a deep breath and be like, all right, it seems like coffee is good for our cardiovascular system. At least for now, seems like we don't need to be worried about losing vast amount of minerals from our bones because we are consuming coffee. But 
you know, we did just touch on urine output in one of those studies. And I think this is an excellent time to transition to the idea that coffee is dehydrating. So can mm-hmm. we address that and, and dig into that a little bit? Because that one has been around for a long time. And I'm curious to know what you found about it. Yeah. So you, you often hear this, you know, people say coffee's dehydrating or they say it's a diuretic, meaning it'll make you pee more. And so this one's pretty straightforward. It, it is not dehydrating. Uh, You do pee a little bit more in the hours after consuming caffeine specifically, not coffee, but caffeine, but there's fluid in coffee, right? And so you drink a cup of coffee, you're getting some hydration and for a period of time, your urine output's a little higher, but it is not dehydrating. So, I mean, at the end of the day, like if you're wandering through the desert and you stumble across a cup of coffee, drink the coffee. (laughs) (laughs) it's going to help. That's exactly what I would want if I was wandering a hot desert is like a nice hot cup of coffee. (laughs) It's the only time I don't want coffee, I think, yeah. Right, right. I mean, this really, this episode is really just because you and I love coffee so much. Like we're just, (laughs) we're just like, we love coffee. It's good for your heart. We love drinking it. It's not going to dehydrate you. I mean, I think we're on a really lovely debunking tear here. Yeah, seriously. This might be the only topic where if the research was pretty bad, and painted coffee in a bad light, we just wouldn't make the episode. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like that, and I think that is the definition of publication bias. Correct. Yeah, correct. Well, I I came into both of these two part episodes knowing that it did not matter what you said to me because nothing will make me give up coffee. I, I just don't care. Wild winter, warm coffee, mom's gone. Do you love me? Blazing summer, cold coffee, baby's gone. Do you love me? Okay, so where are we going next? I know we wanted to make sure we touched on the idea that coffee stunts growth. So can we head there next? Yeah, totally. So we can definitely thank CW Post for this one. I mean, he we didn't really talk about it last time. But the advertising for Postum directly told consumers that coffee stunts growth. So one ad that I didn't read last time said, coffee cuts down weight and height of children, figures show. And the image in the ad was a doctor weighing a boy on a scale. It was kind of this picture of like failure to thrive. Mm. Like coffee would cause failure to thrive. It would keep you from growing properly. And so, you know, the, the message that really got into our brains was that coffee stunts your growth. Okay, so is there any evidence at all? I mean, it sounds like it was, again, clever advertising from CW Post that may have, you know, kind of propagated this idea, but any research to back this up? Nope, 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 no. <laughs> Just no, <laughs> research, no science. The research has turned up a resounding, okay. there's no, nothing, nothing here. So nothing to worry about. But, you know, we don't have research to show coffee stunts your growth. The caveat here being, uh, pediatricians are not super psyched on your five-year-old drinking a latte. Sure. <laughs> so, you know, mostly that's because young kids are going to be more profoundly affected by caffeine. And so if they aren't sleeping well, this could like have negative impacts on their health or happiness. And, you know, I guess you could make more of like a theoretical association between like if you're not sleeping as a kid, that could impact your growth. So, you know, there's that. But we don't have any studies that show that growth is stunted because of Uh, coffee intake or caffeine intake. Okay, great. So I think we can check that one off. But what about coffee or caffeine 
intake and cortisol levels? Because I know that this is something that I've been hearing about more and more. I also think it's because cortisol is a pretty big buzzword right now. But I have heard this idea that you know more and more people are abstaining from coffee because they are concerned that coffee caffeine is going to spike their cortisol levels and that's going to be bad for their health. And so, you know, what should we know about that? Yeah, yeah. I'm glad we're going to talk about this one. So cortisol, let's just define it quick. It's a, it's a hormone, it's a steroid, and it's produced by your adrenal glands and it's released in response to stress. But, you know, let's all just like take all the context that we normally bring to the word stress out of the equation here. Stress means something very different at the physiological level. There's all sorts of good stress and bad stress that we can talk more about. But basically, it's a hormone that is released in response to some type of physiological stress. And so, yeah, you're right. There's all this discourse now about how drinking coffee spikes your cortisol levels and people are choosing to abstain from coffee for that reason. And so I think what we can do here is play a clip to kind of get a taste of the language that you hear online about this connection between coffee and cortisol levels. This one is from the College of Natural medicine. Cortisol is a hormone that's released in response to stress. It's also known as the fight or flight hormone because it prepares your body to respond to danger. When you wake up in the morning, your cortisol levels are naturally higher, which can make you feel alert and awake. However, drinking coffee can interfere with this natural process by causing your body to release even more cortisol and putting our bodies in a prolonged stress state. And let's face it, people, do we need to add any more stress to our already stress-filled, busy modern lives? I don't think so. High cortisol has been linked to blood sugar imbalances, immune system suppression, thyroid abnormalities, digestive impairment, hormonal imbalances and fertility issues, and inflammation. Over time, this constant activation of cortisol can further lead to a dependence on coffee to feel awake and can even lead to adrenal exhaustion, which is something I wouldn't wish on my worst enemy. Or would I? Okay, so there is a lot there. I guess, you know, what I would first want to understand and know, and I actually don't know the answer to this question, so I'm hoping that you do, Matt, is that does drinking coffee actually raise or spike cortisol levels? Yes, it does. So caffeine does, actually. It's not necessarily coffee, but caffeine raises cortisol levels. But before we freak out, let's just let's just talk about this for a sec. So, so first of all, if you're a person who does not consume caffeine regularly and you have a couple cups of coffee, you're going to see a significant rise in cortisol levels. But if you are a habitual coffee drinker, like me, like you, mm-hmm. even if you have just one cup in the morning every day, you're not going to have a big cortisol bump. We have a habituation process that happens where when we drink coffee or have caffeine, we have become habituated and we don't see a big spike in cortisol. So it's very different between people who don't consume caffeine versus people who do. Oh, I mean, that's fascinating because it sounds like there really is kind of a, you know, a dose dependent thing that happens with habitual coffee intake and cortisol levels. Um, She listed off quite a long list of, you know, potential consequences from chronically elevated cortisol. You know, is that something we should be worried about? The answer is no, in my opinion. I could tell you a little bit about the science here. So yeah, she's she's threatening that basically like drinking coffee has this influence on your cortisol levels that's going to increase your risk of thyroid cancer or infertility. And there's a big misunderstanding happening mm. here. It just 
doesn't work this way. I mean, there are certainly reasons to be worried about chronic stress, but that's very different than spikes in cortisol levels. There's a ton of stuff that spikes our cortisol levels that we consider very healthy behaviors, like exposure to sunlight in the morning (laughs) increases our cortisol levels. Exercise increases our cortisol levels. We're not going to say that standing in the sun is going to increase your risk of infertility, right? Like there's a big leap in logic happening here that doesn't seem to make sense. Well, you know what this reminds me of? It reminds me a lot of uh, when we did our sugar episode. I knew you were going to say this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was was this like parallel between like, oh, you know, don't eat sugar. It, It spikes your dopamine response. And we talked about how so many things increase our dopamine level. And this is not like a metric of something being detrimental for our health. Some of these things are just released in response to different stimuli in a way that's actually good for us. Exactly. And this it happens so much when we talk about hormones specifically, right? Because hormones are so complex and we assign this like good, bad, like morality to them. And it just doesn't work that way. So we do not need to be worried about the role of coffee on you know cortisol levels. Unless it's making you extremely stressed because you're drinking like 40 cups of coffee a day, in which case, yeah, maybe take a look at that. Sure. Well, and I also think there's this difference between, you know, I think there are some well-documented consequences of, you know, chronically high cortisol levels being released in the body, but that's not what we're talking about here. And there's always going to be nuance. It's like these hormones, they are released and they're supposed to be released in small amounts. Yes, of course, there could be a problem if they start to be released excessively and chronically. But again, that, that's not what we're talking about. Yep, exactly. Okay, so we have gone through, you know, quite a few of what I would consider the, you know, modern health claims or even modern health myths around coffee. But do you think there's anything else about coffee's role in health that it's important for us to cover in our conversation today? Yeah, I mean, we should just take a minute to talk about some of the other good news about coffee. That's pretty exciting. So in a big umbrella study that looked at a bunch of meta-analyses, found that folks who drink any amount of coffee, even one small cup a day, have an almost 30% lower risk of liver disease, specifically non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, and almost 40% lower risk of liver cirrhosis compared to folks who don't drink coffee. So that's a pretty cool stat. Absolutely. Yeah, that's amazing. And, you know, we've talked about the issues with interpreting relative risks before, but I think still interesting to know just because there's been a lot of research here now. Yeah. What else? Well, similarly, the study also found that there's a lower risk of type 2 diabetes for coffee drinkers and actually drinking more coffee may be more helpful, which is nice. Can you imagine if right now we like inserted like a coffee sponsorship into this episode? (laughs) (laughs) Like all of a sudden it was like, and this episode is currently sponsored by Folgers. Instantly betray the trust that we've been trying so hard to build with our audience. audience. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, Okay. That's also amazing. Anything else on your list? Well, I think one very cool finding is that coffee consumption is associated with a lower risk of depression okay, as well as cognitive disorders, especially Alzheimer's disease. Also, Parkinson's disease risk appears to be lower in coffee drinkers. So, you know, good from like a cognitive and like neuroprotective perspective. It's interesting. It seems like it's really helpful slash protective for so many systems in our bodies, right? Our cardiovascular system. It sounds like for like our, you know, for our brain and our health of our brain, it's really positive. Is there anything that the research turned up as cause for concern? Because I think it's important that we look at both sides equally. Yeah. I mean, I did a lot of research here and really the only thing to keep in mind 
is the risk of drinking a lot of caffeinated coffee during pregnancy, mm. which we kind of all know. Okay. Okay. And it's a concern because... Yeah, it's mainly because a baby in the womb doesn't yet have the enzymes needed to metabolize caffeine. They do once they're born, but when they're in the womb, they don't. And the half-life of coffee for pregnant women, it seems to just about double. So coffee and caffeine is hanging around in the system a lot longer, and the baby doesn't really have the ability to metabolize it. So there are some risks associated with having too much caffeine during pregnancy, but I will definitely defer to everyone's obstetrician or PCP for guidance on how many milligrams or cups of caffeinated coffee to have during pregnancy. Sure. That's a great point to make. And I think, I think that's, that's the reason that pregnant women are, you know, encouraged to limit their caffeine intake because there seems to be, you know, real potential risk to developing baby. So I think that's a great thing to point out, Matt. Yeah. But aside from that and the very asterisk laden risk to increased hip fracture or bone fracture, in women specifically at the highest intake of coffee, there's like nothing else to worry about. Oh, that's amazing. And so, you know, now we're kind of wrapping up this two-part episode. And so, you know, should we like talk about any hot takes that we have as we wrap things up? Yeah, let's do it. Hot coffee, hot takes. Hot coffee, hot takes. You go first. Yeah. So, you know, like in all things, figuring out what a healthy relationship with coffee looks like for you is super valuable. So, you know, once we kind of sift through all this black and white thinking that tends to be so pervasive online and diet culture and just like food culture in general, you know, you got to figure out what your relationship with coffee looks like. If that's not drinking it, that's okay. But for me, it, you know, it's something I really love, but I had to learn how to like relate to it in a healthy way over the years. So, you know, for me, just you know, to, to be transparent, like it means not having six cups of coffee a day or not drinking caffeinated coffee after like 2 PM. Cause I want to sleep soundly. So just kind of figuring out what your own relationship with caffeine is, it's going to be very different for different people. You know, there's some like genetic markers that sort of can tell a story about caffeine metabolism. You know, some people metabolize it very easily while others don't. So just kind of figuring out like, what makes me feel good here with drinking coffee, I think is, is worth is worth noting. Yeah, for sure. Well, and I think the other thing I would want to say is that if you don't like coffee, don't drink it, right? This, yeah. is, this, this is not the time to try to force yourself to drink something that you don't care for just because you and I have talked about potential health benefits. There are plenty of other foods and beverages that you can consume that you like and enjoy that are going to be like amazing for your body. And so I would never want anyone to leave these two episodes feeling like, oh, now I have to go and brew myself a cup of coffee and drink it because, you know, Matt and Jen mentioned the health benefits of coffee. Yeah. Oh, that's such a good point. That's such a good point. And, you know, the, the health benefits, there's so much more than just uh, caffeine related. You know, they have to do likely with the polyphenols and the antioxidants that are in coffee, the soluble fiber that's actually in a cup of coffee, which is interesting. But lots of foods have antioxidants and polyphenols and soluble fiber. So, yeah, this is just one of many foods, like you said, or many beverages that can offer benefits to you know these whole host of health outcomes we talked about. Well, I think it circles back to that idea that it's never going to be about one food or beverage that's going to make or break your health. And that includes even things like coffee that we know that there's some really cool research around, you know, coffee intake and health outcomes. And so always important to remember that we eat so many different foods every single day and they all have a plethora of different benefits. Totally. All right. So my last hot take, I think is just that for a lot of years, I subscribed to this like death before decaf thing. Like, <laughs> 
you know, yeah. decaf is lame. I think it was probably a toxic masculinity thing that I inherited. But, you know, there was this idea, I think there is an idea that decaf's like weak or something, but decaf coffee's awesome. <laughs> yeah. You've moved away from your, you know, death before decaf mantra that you had for yourself. Yeah. Like I like caffeinated coffee in the morning, but if I want a cup of coffee at 5 p.m. or 8 p.m., decaf's awesome. And you can get a lot of the health benefits we talked about from decaf coffee. Almost all of the positive health outcomes we talked about also apply to decaffeinated coffee. So if you've been a dummy like me, start drinking some decaf in the afternoon. Well, I also think like if you are pregnant, having a cup of decaf coffee can feel really nice. I mean, you're not necessarily going to get, you know, the, the caffeine bump, but you can still enjoy a beverage that you like the taste of without worrying about the caffeine content. And so, I mean, I'm somebody that drinks half calf every single day because it allows me to have, you know, a couple cups of coffee versus just one cup of coffee. Cause that's what I've determined helps me the most in my relationship with coffee. So, ah, oh, decaf is awesome. Yeah. Let's, let's not throw any shade towards decaf. So how do you prepare half calf coffee? Cause now I'm just curious, are you <laughs> mixing two bags of beans together or are you making two separate cups of coffee and blending them together? So I actually either buy a half calf already blended and ground together, or I buy a pound of regular, a pound of decaf, and then I mix them because I just found that if I was drinking two regular cups of coffee, I would just get, I'd <laughs> Mr. Coffee nerves would come for me <laughs> and I'd get really jittery. And so like, I love my, my two cups of half calf. And then I also have another cup in the afternoon and it works very well for me. So as we wrap this thing up, do you want to get into the argument about light roast versus dark roast coffees? So we just, I can't believe we just identified this as like perhaps the biggest point of contention in our friendship. But last episode, when you mentioned that you were a light roast coffee snob, I took that to mean that you do not like light roast coffee because I myself only drink dark roast, but that is not what you meant. no. Light roast coffee is better than dark roast oh, coffee. No, Matt. No, I'm so sorry to tell you how wrong you are. Oh, please. You have 30 seconds to defend your case. Dark roast coffee, it is, has more body. It has deeper flavor. It is just better. That's it. That's my 30 seconds. Let the flavors show themselves, Jen. Try a light roast cup of coffee. It's delicious. You can taste the, the fruit. You can taste the terroir of Ethiopia as opposed to you. You're tasting the terroir of burnt ass coffee. No, I just want to drink pure darkness. <laughs> that, that's what I want. Well, you're more likable. So everyone's going to side with you anyway, which I am totally fine with. Um, well, I absolutely loved this two-part episode. I hope people found this helpful. And can you and I just toast a cup of coffee, which we always have beside us when we are podcasting? Absolutely. Cheers, Matt. I'll see you in the next one. Cheers, Jen. You put the coffee, you put the beans up in the grinder. You put the beans, goddammit, in the grinder. You put the beans in the grinder. You pop the beans up inside the grinder. You grind it up. And then you put a little grounds in a filter. You put the coffee down, down in the filter. And then you put the filter up in the top of the coffee maker. You gotta get that drip. Gotta drip, 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 a drip, a drip, a drip, drip, drip. Got to drip, a drip, a drip, drip, drip. Nutrition for Mortals is a production of Oceanside Nutrition, a real-life nutrition counseling practice in beautiful Newburyport, Massachusetts, where we provide individual nutrition counseling both in-person and online via telehealth. Feel free to learn more about our practice at OceansideNutrition.com. If you want to send in a show idea, you can email us at nutritionformortals at gmail.com. 
We're on Instagram at Nutrition for Mortals. If you're digging the show, tell a friend. Maybe give us a nice review on Apple Podcasts if you can. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.